Your house is noisy. It's not nearly as clean as you would like it to be. You are tired. You are frazzled. You haven't had a date with your spouse in what seems like a long, long time. Uh, It feels to you that life is like constantly packing lunches, making meals, doing laundry, racing from one event to another, and you work full time. You are a parent. And yet there is a day coming when your daughter, your son, goes away to school, leaves the house, and you walk by that bedroom for the very first time when it's empty, and there's a pit in your stomach, and you ask yourself, where did all the years go? And in that moment, you would give anything to have all the chaos, all the noise, all over again, to stumble on a toy in the middle of the dark. And you are a parent. Today is parenting part two. Everything I am going to say applies to you aunts and uncles, you grandparents. As I said last week, Parenting is like driving a high-end race car where you experience uh, intense exhilaration. But man, you lose focus. Man, you take your eyes off the road even uh, for just a, a short time. And boy, can you crash and burn. Now God knows this. God knows our weakness as parents. So he has given us the Bible, the scripture, his word to teach us how we can seize this moment, this opportunity that is so fleeting, that goes by so quickly. And I want to say to you this morning that what the Bible has to say about this subject, and I hope to demonstrate that, you will find nowhere else in any other form of literature. Last week, we looked at what the Bible has to say about our target as parents, our role and our power for parenting. Today, I want to build on that. I actually want to go a step further and shift the focus just a little and demonstrate to you three needs that each and every child of ours has in order to live fully the life God offers them in Jesus Christ. Now these are three developmental needs, but the way I want to approach this is in terms of three developmental strategies for you as moms and dads, for you grandparents. And I... uh, In addition to what we talked about last week, I just want you to know, I'm speaking on this subject from experience, the ups and downs of parenting. And it's these strategies, these development strategies that have helped me become the parent I am today. So I commend these to you. I want you to get these down. I want you to live these out. The three are love, authority, and wisdom. You see, love instills worth in the lives of our children. 
It helps them answer the question, who am I? Authority, on the other hand, positive authority, instills respect and helps your children answer this fundamental question in life, well, how do I get along? Wisdom, which is the most difficult of the three, instills skillful living and helps your children as they grow answer the question, what is my mission? How do I give and invest my life? So what I want to do is I want to start with what the Bible has to say about love. Let me tell you a story. Three weeks from now, three weeks from yesterday, our youngest Ryan is getting married. He's getting married in Sumter, South Carolina. We love Taylor. We love Ryan. They are both completely and totally sold out to Jesus Christ. We can't wait to see how God is going to work in their lives in the future. Shortly after Ryan got engaged, he did something that I did not see coming. As I've thought about it, it's really one of my great honors in life. Ryan, my son, asked me to be his best man. And that is so cool. Now, as I've thought about it, I mean, we've been through a lot together, including the death of my wife, his mother, when he was 12. But as I've thought about it, one of the things in that that Ryan is saying is that, Dad, I love the way you have loved me. And I want to talk about what the Bible has to say that love looks like. So grab your Bible, turn it on, grab a Bible in front of you, we'll put it on the screen, and we're going to, to the book of Ephesians, the, Paul's letter to the churches surrounding Ephesus, and we're going to chapter 6 and verse 4, Ephesians 6 and verse 4, where we read this, fathers, do not exasperate your children, instead bring them up in the Training and instruction of the Lord. That's it. That's the verse. But it says volumes about parental love, parenting. First of all, the word translated fathers at the beginning is also translated elsewhere in the New Testament, parents. So Paul is speaking to moms. Paul is speaking to you single parent mothers. And in either case, Paul is also speaking to you fathers. Now that's important because in the first century world, fathers were the absolute heads of their household, including servants, including uh, other people. And fathers often ran their households and their children as if they were all part of a business. So in the first century world, fathers could be aloof, distant, uh, often emotionally absent. And what Paul is saying here in verse 4, when he addresses parents, when he addresses fathers, is something revolutionary. It's something totally countercultural. Paul is saying, stop it. Stop living that way as fathers. You aren't merely a business leader, you are a spiritual leader in your home. And you bear responsibility for the spiritual leadership 
of your children. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, dads, I get your life. But I want you to know there is no command in the Bible to make as much money as you can. There is no command in the Bible to play golf or whatever as much as you want, to watch TV as much as you want, to do whatever you want as much as you want. But here we do have a command that to be a Christian parent is to develop the spiritual lives of your children, to teach them, as I said last week, to love God from their hearts. But there's more. Paul says here, do not exasperate. In Colossians chapter 3, he says, do not embitter. The two words are different, but they mean the same thing. They mean do not irritate, do not frustrate, do not wear your kids out. Now let me go back to the Old Testament. In the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, what we call the Septuagint, the Old Testament translates the same word with the word provoke. And it's often used to describe God's reaction to Israel's spiritual idolatry and spiritual inconsistency. Here Paul takes that word and uses it in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Do you see what it means, parents? Paul is saying uh, one of the main ways you frustrate your children isn't by making mistakes. I mean, we all make mistakes. But it's by living inconsistently. By pursuing idols. By living in such a way where there is a big gap, a widening gap as you get older between what you say you believe and the way you live. And you know, our kids are smart enough to see right through that. And Paul is saying it provokes them. It embitters them. And Paul here says, stop that. Now the question I need to ask is, to bring this back around, well, how does what Paul is saying here relate to love? And the answer is, and this is surprising, Paul is describing parental love in two ways. He's telling us, first of all, parental love is leading your children spiritually. And then secondly, it's living consistently before them. You are a mom, you are a dad who practice what you preach. Now, now I want you to hear me in this. We tend to think that even, and often even as Christians, that parenting is essentially providing a good, a safe, uh, 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 enjoyable home for our children, and, and parenting is a lot of that. But what Paul is saying is parenting, gospel-centered parenting is so much more because it's taking your children somewhere spiritually. 
and you're intentional about that. Now, I want to line this out, and and this is going to take a a little bit of time, but I want to apply uh, these concepts from verse 4 in five different ways. What does this mean? How can we apply this, moms and dads, or you grandparents? Number one, it means you live your devotional life out loud. You talk about what God is teaching you about the scripture you just memorized, about how God showed up in your life, how you experienced God uh, during the day, and you're continually initiating spiritual conversations with your children. You're asking questions. And, And man, you're talking about movies, you're talking about TV, you're talking about sports, music, whatever, you're having those conversations, but you're also interspersing them with Jesus and the wonder of what Jesus has done and how Things point to Jesus and how Jesus and the new hearts he gives us changes us into new people. And you're living your devotional life out loud. Now, let me go back to Ryan. I made a lot of mistakes with Ryan. It was really difficult after his mother died. And I felt this enormous, enormous stress in life. I mean, we were just relocating, building this building. I, I, I was up to my eyeballs in life. And there were times I would overreact with my 12-year-old. I would get angry. I would say things I, I shouldn't say to him. But there were a couple things that I did that saved the situation. First, I always, always ask for forgiveness. And then second, I always talked about what God was doing in my life. And I probed, I mean probed, about what God was doing in Ryan's life. Ryan, are you reading your Bible? Why aren't you reading your Bible? Oh, you're reading your Bible. What are you learning? We studied the book of Proverbs for about nine months. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't long. But we just talked about these Proverbs and and what they might mean for us as we lived out our, our days. I would ask Ryan all sorts of questions. How are you doing spiritually? How are your friends doing? What's going on? As he became a a, a teenager, I I asked him questions about lust. I did it regularly. Talked about alcohol, talked about drugs, talked about uh, different forms of temptation. Uh, I, I pressed in. I lived my devotional life out loud. Spiritual leadership is living your spiritual life before your children out loud. Now this is why, as a sidebar, church is so important and your children need to see that because church is a way we live our spiritual lives out loud. Now let me go on, application number two. According to Ephesians 6 and verse 4, love means this love, this training instruction, means when you're at the mountains or you're at the beach or you're watching a sunset, you seize the moment to cultivate your child's spiritual imagination. And so you say, I know the one who made that sunset. Now what is he trying to tell us about himself in the sunset? 
or in the spring or in the oceans or, or in the mountains. And you don't necessarily have to have a long theological conversation about it, but it's just the kind of conversations you have. You're taking the metaphors of life and you're inviting your kids in to think and to talk about it and to apply it to their heart. Third, love means, and Paul gets at this when he says, do not, do not exasperate your children. Love means you parent with a tender heart. A, a, a really tender heart. You don't take your child's failures personally. You relax. You are quick to encourage. You are gentle when you discipline. You're always looking for ways for your kids to have fun as they define fun. I miss this a couple of times as a dad. So I thought it would be really cool, for example, this was really stupid, but I thought it would really be cool to teach my children when they were fairly young to barefoot water ski. It wasn't fun for any of them. It wasn't fun at all. Now you grandparents, man, you have a great opportunity here to model this tender heart, to grandparent with a tender heart. Let me go on, number four. Bringing your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord means you love others. That your family is never just about your family. That your kids hear you talk about family, extended family members, friends, co-workers that you have that you care deeply about that don't know Jesus and you pray about them and, and you know their friends uh, from school or from wherever in the neighborhood uh, that they have that don't know Jesus and you, you take praying for those people seriously as a, a family. They see your love for immigrants for people in pain, people who have needs. And you have people into your home and you do things as a family, care fest, and a thousand other different things. Because what you want is your kids grow up, they want to be able to say to their friends, you know what, meeting needs was just something our family did. And you're bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fifth and finally, (laughs) this means you're not overly protective. You're not hovering, you're not rigid. Now, some of you are gonna think this is apostasy, but when our kids moved into the second half of their junior year and all through their senior year of high school, they didn't have curfews anymore. We were intentional, we talked about it. Now that doesn't mean I wasn't watching. That doesn't mean we weren't paying attention to what was going on. But it means we let them, generally speaking, set their own curfews because we wanted them to learn independence before they went away to school. Uh, uh, 
This means you do not, you do not show favoritism ever. You do not badmouth other kids in the neighborhood, other kids in the school. You do not uh, set unrealistic goals for your children. You never withhold affection when they disappoint you. Now that's love. And man, when we understand that this is a developmental need for our children and we build a developmental strategy around it, we are miles down the road because God will give you the grace to instill worth in the lives of your children. Let me go on to authority. Love matters, it instills worth, it shapes identity. Authority matters because it instills respect and it shapes relationships. And I wish I was making this story up. Jen was a very angry 35-year-old mother who had an even more angry five-year-old son who yelled at her, hit her, would throw a fit regularly when he didn't get his way. And one day as Jen was uh, trying to get some help, she just summarized it out loud and said, he's out of control and he's five. Five. There are few things more important Few more important heart issues for our children than the issue of authority. Our children must see in us that authority is something positive, it's something good, it is something kind, even though it's firm. Our children must learn early on that they live in a world full of authority. And they are not it. And that'll be a surprise to them. Now let me come at this a little through a back door. Turn with me to the New Testament letter, 2 Corinthians. And let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15, which talks about Jesus and authority. And we read, and he, that is Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. There it is. But for him who died for them and was raised again. Uh, now, back to last week, parent, this is another way of saying what your target is. Your target is that your children will live for Jesus that they will love him and live for him out of their hearts. But Paul is also saying something else here. He is saying ever since the fall of Garden of Eden, or the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, there has been a natural resistance to authority by every person ever born into the world. So the battle you parents have with your kids over what time they have to go to bed or what to wear, or doing chores, is a battle that traces all the way back to the fall in the Garden of Eden. And it's a battle we all have in our hearts. And your precious little children come into the world 
because of that, thinking they're self-appointed little sovereigns. That my life is up to me. And what is Paul saying in verse 15? Paul is saying Jesus went to the cross to break our bondage to self-rule. That we would no longer live for ourselves. Paul is saying that saving faith in Jesus Christ, receiving the new heart Jesus offers us, that we might live new lives in Jesus because of what he did on the cross, is the only way we overcome our addiction to self and we overcome our innate disdain for authority. Who in the world are you to tell me what to do? Now, I need to say, moms and dads, you don't have the power uh, to cause your children to love authority, let alone God's authority. But this is exactly why Jesus went to the cross. He has that power. And the moment we believe in him, he comes into our lives and he gives our, our children new hearts and new lives. So this verse, verse 15, is teaching us a couple of things. It's teaching us, first of all, that our trouble with authority is only resolved in the cross. And it is also teaching, now hear me in this, that when we as parents develop clear, consistent, biblical-infused, grace-infused, gospel-infused authority in the context of our family, we are doing gospel work. You're pointing your kids to Jesus. Well, let me say it differently. These, um, I love this thought. Jesus prepares the way for making his invisible authority visible by sending visible authority figures, parents, as representatives of him into the lives of our children. Now, a couple applications, and I'll move on. What this means, what verse 15 means as we apply it to parenting and gospel parenting in light of what Jesus has done, you can never, you can never, mom and dads, relinquish authority to a strong-willed child, no matter how strong-willed. And we've had a couple of them. Uh, complete defiance. You do not, you adjust to be sure, but you never stop being the parent. Conversely, this means the way you exercise authority is by mirroring Jesus' wonderful authority. So Jesus is gentle, Jesus is slow to anger, Jesus is good, Jesus is forgiving. And that's how we model authority. It's how we live it out. Uh, think of it this way, you are the tone of God's voice. You are God's face to your child, the touch of his hand. 
And when you lash out in anger, or when you yell, when you demean your children, when you stomp out of the room in frustration, or race down the room in anger, what are you doing? You're diminishing your child's view of authority. You have a child with ADD. And because he or she has ADD, it's a little hard for them to focus. And uh, what happens is uh, you, you say something and they hear it and uh, 10 minutes later they didn't hear it and you have to repeat it all over again. As they get older, well, what did you say, Dad? And so you repeat it and you repeat it patiently. You don't say, what kind of idiot are you? So the question I want you to ask yourself is, what kind of picture of authority are you painting? What are your kids seeing? Your grandkids. Now let me just say something quickly about authority as it relates to our kids getting older. By the time our kids were juniors and seniors in high school, I mean second semester juniors and seniors in high school, uh, we took a risk. Uh, We eliminated curfews. Now that doesn't mean I didn't watch, it doesn't mean I, I wasn't paying attention, we weren't paying attention. But we wanted our kids to learn independence before they went away to college. And generally speaking, not always, it worked. You see, as your kids move into adulthood, authority, your authority loosens. And then by the time they become young adults, and we have a, we have a, a bunch of them, you know what they want? They want your support more than they want your advice. And honestly, that's been hard for me because I make my living giving advice. You made that decision? You didn't even call me? You didn't ask me? Well, no, Dad, this is, we got this thing. Your kids want your, sometimes they want your advice, but your kids want your support more than they want your advice. And you got to be okay with that. As a matter of fact, when it comes to adult kids, you can only have the relationship with them that they want. And you have to be cool with that. Now let me go on. I got to conclude. I got to get through wisdom briefly. What is wisdom? Wisdom is instilling skillful living in the hearts of our kids to help them as they mature to understand their mission in life. And as I said at the outset, this is the most difficult of the three. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse, we'll pick it up in verse 13. Let me see if I can find it here. Proverbs chapter 3. And verse 13, we'll read a couple of verses. Here we see the the metaphors that describe how important, how critical wisdom is to our developmental strategy as parents. So we read, blessed are those who find wisdom. Uh, Let's say it this way, blessed are those children who find wisdom. Those who gain understanding. 
For wisdom is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She, wisdom, is more precious than rubies. Nothing, nothing you desire, no matter how good they are at sports, no matter how crazy your life is with activities and music, nothing compares to wisdom. What is wisdom? According to the book of Proverbs, it's skill in living. It means you help your children as they grow, identify their strengths, identify their, their passions, what, what they're good at. You help them see the value of character and integrity. Uh, you talk to them about the difficulty of temptation. You talk to them about the fact that life and people will disappoint them. You prepare them uh, for that. They, they see you caring for the needy. They develop to be a person who lives a life of wisdom is to care for other people. It's to help them understand. I mean, our kids understand that significant security and wisdom is found in Jesus. I mean, this is Proverbs chapter nine. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the question I want to conclude with is how? How do we instill, impress, impart wisdom into the lives of our our children? I want to go back to the book of Ephesians because at the end of the book of Ephesians, after Paul, all Paul has said about the spiritual life, he calls each and every one as Christians, parents, grandparents, to take up the armor of God so that we might stand against the attacks of Satan. And the very first piece of armor he tells us to take up is the belt of truth. Why? Because the primary way Satan attacks our kids isn't by trying to possess them, but by trying to deceive them. Satan is not out to leave fang marks in their flesh, but to plant lies in their hearts. So how do they live a life of wisdom? And this, the answer is, this is why the belt of truth is first. Because the primary way we push back against the enemy is by pressing truth into the hearts of our children. God's truth, God's word. This is why, again, church, a a small group that you are in, moms and dads, that's based on truth. It's why your devotional life, your scripture memory is so important because wisdom relative to your children is a function of pressing truth into their hearts so that your children will know subjectively and experientially what they know about God objectively. And what you're looking for is after a day of school, let's say, Mama, you know what? We read this passage about God is good. And he is good all the time. And I, I, I can't wait. To, I, I, you just can't believe how good God was to me today in this tough situation. It's not just a head thing. It's a life thing. It's a situational thing. And so grandparents, I'll conclude with this. Biblical grandparent isn't isn't merely showing up. It's you instilling wisdom, modeling positive authority, and especially because of your years of experience, 
pressing God's wisdom, God's truth into the lives of your grandkids. Let's pray. Father, we so need grace. We so need the Spirit to work in our lives that we might be the parents, the the grandparents, the family members that honor you. Would you do this? Would you do this because you're merciful, not because we have it together? We don't. And I want to pray for parents here that are going through very difficult situations for grandparents and pray that you might give them grace and strength. Oh God, where would we be without Jesus? Amen.